Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hello, this is Jack Martin. I'm the virtual CMO for InsureMark, and I want to welcome you to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. This is where elite advisors come to level up their practice. And in 2024, we couldn't be more excited to have Lawrence Black and Jay Watson join us to kick off the year with us. So Jay and and, and Lawrence uh, lead a great partner of ours called the Index Standard. It, it's a passion project for them. They each have 20 plus years experience on Wall Street and trading floors, designing and executing index strategies. And I'll let them explain a little bit about it. Hey, Lawrence, welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Thank you, Jack. And it's great to be here with you today. So, you know, the Index Standard, what we do is we evaluate and rate indices. We, we provide model allocations. But really what I wanted to say I founded the Index Standard on the back of a 20 plus year career in designing and developing indices. And what I found was indices have got so complex these days. They're very hard to understand what's going on with all these crazy terms like mean variance optimization, risk control. So what we want to do at the Index Standard, we really want to help people understand these indices that are available in a variety of annuities. And we want to help put more money in people's pockets. Jay, you're the head of analytics at uh, Index Standard. Introduce yourself. Tell our audience a little bit about you. I know you're coming to us from Italy today. Uh, great place to be podcasting from. Welcome. Thank you, Jack. That's true. I'm uh, up in the Alps at the moment, so uh, I was skiing yesterday. Fantastic. My background is in designing indices. This is how I know Lawrence. We were colleagues for many years at Barclays Investment Bank, Lawrence in New York, myself in London. And over those years, about 15 years together, we designed and developed many indices. So we've been around a long time. And as Lawrence explained, we're you can think of us as poachers termed gamekeepers now. So we're not we're not put off by a three hundred page index rule doc. You know, we we voraciously read through all of this stuff and we try and make it clear for people who have better things to do with their lives. Since we met, what, three or four years ago, uh, I, I've really come to deeply respect the integrity of these two guys. So, folks, these guys have our, our client's best interest at heart, uh, and, and they do, do they do a great job of pulling back the curtain so we can see what's really going on. So the the, the genesis of, of, of the invitation to be on the podcast, you know, was an article a few weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal that said uh, the headline was, is the 60-40 portfolio dead? And for those of you who are listening, what is the 60 60 40 portfolio. So it's it's based on uh, I think guys Harry Markowitz started this whole thing exactly. with modern portfolio the theory. And so, you know, uh, at any point along the efficient frontier, there's an optimal portfolio, right? And so a lot of pension plans kind of embraced the idea of this middle of the road allocation, 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds. So you you guys want to jump off there, tell us a little bit about that and and really, you know, what's what's what, what's behind this whole conversation about you know, is it dead? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So let me start off. So, you know, as you as you said, this is designed by Harry Markowitz. He won the Nobel Prize really for this in the 70s. Um, 
So it's actually a technology that's been around, right? And I think it's really been tried and tested. If you look at the last sort of 50 years, it's averaged, um, it's never actually had a down year except for 2022. And that's why we saw some of these headlines. So if you look over the long term, you know, this uh, sort of very simplistic portfolio has actually done very well. We actually went back and, and it's averaged around about 8%, right? So that's a, a pretty good um, return. Now, you know, why does this exist? I think this portfolio exists because we all need to be diverse. And, you know, at least putting 60% of stocks, 40% into bonds keeps you somewhat diverse. Now, you know, it's, it may sound glib, but I think a lot of people are chasing performance. You know, we've seen fantastic performance with the NASDAQ and the S&P in 2023. And, you know, people are like, oh, I'm, I can just be concentrated. And, you know, Jack, I want to tell you a personal story. You know, my father uh, invested in one stock in 1986 leading up to 87. So I've seen what happens when concentration happens and it's not good. So I think it's still very relevant today um, because you've got to be diverse. But it is somewhat of a simplistic approach. And I think with some, you know, some of these modern tools like alternatives, like annuities, you can really sort of get enhance it to get better returns. So I couldn't agree more with what you just said. In in my career, three decades as a as an advisor, I mean, that's my DNA, CFP, RIA, et cetera. And and I know with my clients, that was a this was a hugely effective tool at helping manage human behavior. Uh, it's it's natural for us to want to chase performance, right? We and that's why when you when you look at the 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 fear greed curve for you know the average investor, they're buying high and selling low because they're chasing performance. And if, if instead you've got this box, all right, that this that says here's where we're going to allocate, you you are naturally going to sell high out of positions to buy low into positions that are underperforming to get yourself rebalanced, right? So, exactly. so Jay, Jay, I know that's kind of elementary. From where you sit, you know, what sense does that make in, in 24? It makes a lot more sense than it did a couple of years ago. The main reason for the 60-40 is bonds and equities usually are decorrelated. Bonds go up when equities go down and vice versa. So they provide the bond part traditionally provides something of a cushion. So that's important. The problem over the last few years has been the bond yields have been very low. There's not been much juice from your bonds. And also when bond yields got really low, down at 2%, there wasn't much room as for them to be act as a cushion. Now, both of those things are changing now. Correlations are going down towards towards zero, maybe negative, which is good for equity bonds. And also the expectation, the, the, the forecast returns from bonds are going back up again. So I think you, 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 you tipped your hand a little bit about some of the insights you guys gather. I know you, you're still deeply connected to what's going on, on in, in Wall Street with the banks and so on. So, and you do this capital markets assumption where where you take kind of the wisdom of the street, I think is the way you describe it. So talk a little bit about that and and what the street, if you will, is is seeing with respect to how stocks and bonds are, are, are expected to, to perform over the next few years. Sure. You know, I've got those numbers to hand. So you're exactly right, Jack. We call it the wisdom of Wall Street. What we do is we go to about 35 asset managers and we pick up their 10-year forecasts. Now, 
Let me just make a quick statement here. I know a lot of the investment banks try and forecast for the S&P one year ahead, and it's a tough task. But when you're looking out 10 years, you can sort of take a bit more of a perspective on that assets might go up and down. There might be something called mean reversion. If they're very high, they might come back, they might come back down to average, or if they're low, they might go back up to the average. So that's what we, 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 we take a look at. And right now, you know, we're seeing much better returns. They're all in the high single digits, but we're not seeing these double digit returns that we've been treated to with the S&P and the NASDAQ 100. So right now for the S&P on a total return basis in 10 years, our, the average of our 35 firms is about 7%, which is not too bad. And then if you look at on the fixed income side, we see that you can get around about 5% from the US global ag. You know, but of course, if you look more globally, you can actually pick up some other interesting uh, returns. So for example, for IFA, we see about potentially returns might be eight and a half percent. And IFA has been down, right? For the last, it's had a terrible last 10 years. Emerging markets, you might get 10. And emerging markets, the last 10 years, they were about zero. So, you know, you should always be diverse and look to spread your risk across lots of asset classes. So, you know, with that, with that in mind, in the very intro, uh, you said it's 60-40. Traditionally, I think for the US investor, they've thought about the S&P and maybe the ag. Now, if you combine that, you can get a return of, we see around about 5.9, let's call it 6%. Now, but what you can do is you can kind of sort of skew that a little bit and get higher yields. So let's look at the S&P, right? Everyone's talked about the, the Magnificent Seven. In fact, now the Magnificent Seven account for about 30% of the S&P. So that's huge, right? And do you want to be buying these tech stocks at these levels? I mean, they've had huge run-ups. And, you know, there's this famous saying from Rothschild, who founded Rothschild's bank. He said, buy on the sound of gunfire. So you want to buy when it's distressed. I don't think you want to be buying now when we've seen some of these tech names that have doubled. So you know, if you went into, let's say, an equally weighted S&P and put that into your 60%, you could move up to around about a 7% return. And then if you wanted to blend in, let's say, some IFA, some emerging markets or some value-orientated stuff, you could actually probably get a yield of maybe 8 or 9 And then I want to hand it over to Jay, who might have some thoughts on the fixed income side. Hey, before we jump there, and I, I, I want to hear what Jay has to say. So what you're saying is, you know, blended average around 6%, you know, with some balance to it, right? Okay. So here, here's what, what's, what's flooding the airways for our clients. All right. We've got Dave Ramsey and we got Susie Orman who are saying 12% a year. So what sense does that make? Jay, you're the, you're the analytic in the audience. I mean, should we expect 10 to 12% and you know, what's going on with that? You know, what, what's the voice of reasons have to say here? Okay. We like this phrase, the wisdom of Wall Street, because it's a big aggregation of forecasts, as Lawrence says, not over one year, but over 10 years. 12% over the next 10 years, that's overall not what the Wall Street expects. So we we do a big averaging of these expectations. And as Lawrence said, it's somewhere around 7% for large cap US total return, including dividends. So it's been a fantastic ride the last 10 years, 15 years, a little bit bumpy. 
to say the least. But if you hung on to your seat, it's been amazing. It's, it's difficult to expect the same in the next 10 years. The other thing to say, Jack, is nobody knows. So this is, as Lawrence says, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Be a little bit diversified. Unless you have a very strong view on something, well, that's fine. You're entitled to that. But if you don't have a strong view, better to be a little bit diversified. So this is why we think the 60-40 is probably coming back, despite this negative year last year, which upset a lot of people. Things are Levels are coming back to sort of more normal levels in bond in the fixed income world. Having Fed funds rate at 10 basis points is, is crazy. But people in finance have got sh such short memories. They think, Oh, that's, that's the normal level. You know, they've only been in, they've only been working in finance for 10 years. Oh yeah, that's less than 1%. That's, it's always been there. No. A normal level for, for cash rate is something around three, four percent. For bonds, around four or five percent, not down at one and two. So we're moving in, into a more normal type of regime, I think, into the future. It's going to be bumpy. It always is. So be but diversified. But I don't think 12 percent over an annualized return of 12% for large cap equities for the next 10 years is a reasonable expectation. Fair statement. Fair statement. So a, a lot of folks listening to this podcast uh, use indexed products, you know, uh, Rylas, FIAs and the like. And so what's the, what's the, just to level set, what's the, we're, we're talking about accumulation here, not income, right? And, and so what's the role of, of the index itself in the context of this 60-40 conversation. So what's it what's it do for us, you know, from a diversification perspective? What's it do for us? I mean, the the mantra is kind of, you know, get the upside, no downside. So how does that fit into the context of the this conversation about, you know, 12% versus seven and so on and so forth? What, what do you guys think? Let me take a stab at that and maybe hand it over to Jay. So you know, I, I think people love benchmark indices, and it's been, as Jay said, it's been a wonderful ride the last 10 years. But if I look at the S&P, you know, the Magnificent Seven, the average PE of them of them is 36. For the remaining 493 stocks, the PE is 21. So, you know, some investor might say, well, hmm, that's a little bit expensive. So I want to be diversified. So maybe when you're thinking about an allocation, you may want to give some allocation to the S&P, NASDAQ or IFA. But I certainly think you can use these risk control indices found in FIAs and RILAs to build diversification. These indices have normally got multiple asset classes and they rotate depending on the, the macroeconomic regime. So you can sort of blend them in to get diversification because we've just been treated to such a wonderful last 10 years with these high returns that they may not continue. So you really want to be diverse across multiple asset classes. So you can use these indices to kind of blend them in and get that diversification. Jay, what do you think? I like FIAs for the accumulation phase in particular, because I, th I think of them, I have a structured products background. For me, it's like a principle protected instrument but with equity upside 
essentially. Now that equity, you can and it, what an index does, you can use the S and P. As Adam Pollitzer at Athena always points out, it was the S and P was never designed to go into an FIA. There are versions of it with risk control, risk control versions of the S and P, which give much better pricing. So if you insist on only being on the S and P, think of those. But as Lauren says, if you want to take the chance to be a little bit more diversified, there's a whole spectrum of indices now available that you can use in an FIA to, to achieve that. And they are designed to go into FIAs. Now, won't go into details, but they are designed to be efficient from a pricing point of view. You get good value for money, essentially. And the other thing to say is with bond yields going higher again, participations are going up. And you can get some very high participations on some of these risk control indices. So there is a combination there of your your investment, your premium is essentially protected. You've got to wait. You've got to wait the whole 10 years or seven years, whatever. So you have to be prepared to wait. But you have the possibility of that upside. So in in the context of the 60-40 then, so how how should we be thinking about the role of of the index in the context of FIA and RILA? Should should we be, I know we talk about it as bond alternatives, so does it replace the 40% slice? There's also as you said this this you know equity potential that comes out of it, so does it replace some of the the equity slice? Do we just choose, you know, an an allocated index and not worry about two slices and just have one uh, index that does all that. So what are you guys seeing? Where does it fit? Where does it, where does it make sense, uh, you know, for our advisors to be looking? Maybe I'll start off on that one and then hand it over to Jay. So the first thing is just to kind of roll that back. I think so many people kind of compare an FIA to equity, and that is not the right comparison. You know, the FIA is more like an anchor can maybe be compared to you know, the fixed income. But I think we've got to remember in an FIA, it's very different to a fixed income because you're getting some kind of longevity guarantee. So that's actually very valuable. So that's the first thing. Now, with your question, Jack, you're asking, should you replace the FIA in the fixed income sleeve? That is definitely a potential because if you bought fixed income in 2022, the ag was down 13%. I think people were shocked when they lost money on fixed income and actually long-term bonds, even this year, they were down sort of 46% at one stage up in, in the 2023. So, you know, people for years had thought my fixed income was the anchor, but I think we've seen that, that maybe that's not always the case. So you can certainly replace the fixed income with an FIA in, in, that, in that 40% allocation, or you could sort of even reduce your 60-40 and then add an FIA to the overall portfolio to add a sort of overall anchor and begin to build some guaranteed income. Now, actually, I know Jay's been looking at that and looking at how some of the risk or reward returns can be improved. So maybe, Jay, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Thanks, Lawrence. Right. I, I Don't worry, I won't go off on a tangent here. Lawrence hired me to do lots of calculations. So this is what I've been doing. And we run simulations trying to work out what's best. And we've looked at 60-40 portfolios using wisdom of Wall Street, essentially, for what we think 
they are their their forecast over the next 10 years are and then we've added some model FIAs and I for me an FIA is a hybrid it has fixed income characteristics and equity characteristics now in a sense you're getting a little bit of the best of both worlds with them you have the the protection of your investment in the end i emphasize in the end you've got to wait it's not protected tomorrow it's only protected at the end of the surrender period you're going to get it all back and you've also got the possibility of equity upside and so what we find is if you start with 60 40 and then instead of putting all of your money into 60 40 let's say you put 80% of your money into 60-40 and the other 20 into an FIA, broadly speaking, it quite markedly improves your risk versus reward trade-off. You've got to make lots of assumptions, obviously, and nobody knows what will happen in the future. But it does look attractive. There's no doubt about it. So we'd be happy to share a few numbers with you, Jack, if you like and uh, with some of your listeners as well in the future. Yes, please. And and absolutely. And the, the folks, while while Jay's pulling that up, what's our, our, our friends at Nexus have this tool that lets us model this. And so, again, back to this notion of the efficient frontier. So this is a graph, right? And along the, the efficient frontier, we get optimal allocations for risk and return. And so what, what we see is, in Jay's example of 20%, we're able to as he said, to markedly drop the risk, keep the return the same or a little bit better than if we did the raw investment in in 6040. Do I have that about right, guys? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, Jay. So put some put some put some leaves on the tree. What's the what what are what are some expectations we could have for applying this theory? Okay, well let me uh Got some numbers in front of me and lots of graphs. You can, broadly speaking, our expectation for for large cap equities is about 7% for total return. That's an arithmetic average, just looking each year. Um, if, you, if you want a compounded return, that's about six. Uh, for bonds, about four and a half. And you can build the efficient frontier and look at 60-40 where that sits, and it does improve the risk-reward profile by combining 60-40. If you add an FIA, and we made some assumptions about what the FIA might look like, the return level stays at around 6%, the expected return over 10 years, but the risk of that goes down from let's say three percent so that's you know your when you say i'm going to get i'm expecting six it might be when i have a risk of three that means i could be between three and nine that risk goes down from three to about two percent so you have the same similar expect expected return about six percent compounded over 10 years but the the risk in that is lower by a third it might be between four percent and eight percent say so two percent above and below 
So you can you're reducing your risk and keeping your return level essentially the same. That's what we find. So some of our listeners are probably saying, hey, there's no risk with an FIA. Uh, what are you talking about risk? And and I, I think what we're talking about here is risk in the context of return that you can expect, right? It's not in right. terms of risk that you're going to lose principal. So I, I, maybe you guys want to Correct. clarify that a little bit. Uh, sure. Okay. There are a few things to say here. We let, let, let me say it, Jack. We sometimes see in documents, in marketing materials, people talk about the safety of bonds. Okay. Well, bonds are less volatile in equities. Yeah, that means they're less risky. But that doesn't mean to say they have no risk. The price of the bonds moves around. A bond is safe, a treasury is safe, in a sense that if you buy a 10-year treasury and you wait 10 years, you're very confident you're going to get your 100 back. So it's very safe in that sense, but you've got to wait. And it's the same with an FIA. You have to wait. The risk in the meantime is to the, the, the crediting strategy and how much that actually generates for you. So how much do you get back at the end? Your 100 plus how much? Well, hopefully more than zero. And depending on how the crediting strategy does, that could be a larger or smaller amount. So the FIA is safe even when you, if you can wait, but there's still a variation, an uncertainty in how much it will actually pay you at the end above your 100 that you invested. So that's what I mean by the risk. There are two types of risk there, your, your, your principal, your premium, and then also your final return. And what we find is that an FIA Adding an FIA to a portfolio, a 60-40 portfolio, over that 10-year time horizon, the return levels are comparable, but the the risk, how much they might vary, that they could be higher or lower, that gets that goes down. So to, to help our listeners a little bit, so there are what, 180, 250 indices out there in the marketplace now? And so, you know, as, as you start to dive into that and sort through all of this, certainly the tools that you guys have built are fabulous for that. And you can access all that through InsureMark, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But wh where I want to come back to is there, there's something, Jay, you said earlier about the pricing. And so you can get more for your money, okay? And, and, and that's a nuance that I think a lot of us don't appreciate when it comes to trying to choose the index, okay? So... S&P 500, most popular index out there, right? All right, which means yep. it's going to be expensive to buy an option uh, in the S&P compared to another surrogate for the market, right? So yep. can you talk a little bit about, I think you guys have done a lot of work on bang for the buck, you know, mm -hmm. to, to and, and to <sighs> me, that, that means it helps me, guides me in looking at, you know, if I've got, boil it down to five or six choices, where can I get the best value for my money from an options budget perspective so that my client has the the best possibility of maximizing their return? And I know that's a lot, but maybe you guys can mm -hmm. unpack that a little bit and and yeah. shed some wisdom for our listeners. I mean, let me let me start off very high level and then I'll hand over 
to Jay for the bang for your buck. I think one of the things we see so frequently is a lot of people will compare the S&P to a risk control index. And you can't really do that because you can think about the S&P as like a Mustang. It can go very fast, but can have some big crashes. You can think about a risk control index as like a mini SUV. It can kind of take the, it can go over lots of different kind of terrain. Now, if you look at a sports car magazine, Jack, you'll never see the Mustang compared to a mini SUV. You'll only see that Mustang compared to a 911. Right. So that's the fundamental problem we have in the industry, that people try and compare this Mustang to, the, to these mini SUVs, and it's just not appropriate. So we spend a lot of time trying to think about that. And, you know, within the industry, a lot of people think something looking at something like your risk divided by your return kind of gets you there. And that kind of gets you halfway. But luckily, at the index standard, we've got Jay, who's been thinking about this deeply, and he's come up with a new metric to kind of really evaluate these indices on a true comparable basis. And we, we like to think of it as how much bang for your buck you get. So Jay, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Lawrence. The, the thing you're faced with as an investor is you look buy an ETF and you worry about downside. And there are lots of metrics that talk about that, the sharp ratio, the drawdown, things like that. But when you buy an FIA, you get told, ah, oh, you only get the upside performance. Okay, well, that's great. But you, you, if you look at a crediting strategy linked to the S&P, you're obviously not going to get 100% of the upside performance. You're going to get a participation in it, 30 40%, say, maybe 50 on a good day. So what you need to do is compare that with what the performance might be of a risk control index. And so what we do, we, we've we compared historically the upside performance of lots of indices. We don't care if it over one year, we don't care if it drops. And we compare that to the price of that one year option. Because without going into details, that's what the insurance companies, the carriers are actually doing when they when they work out the participation levels. And so we've done a big analysis where we look for, as Lawrence likes to call it, bang for your buck. And it's it's exactly correct. If you had bought this index in an option format, how much would it have paid you on average? And we compare this across about 300 indices. And so in that way, we have a measure, we call it the index standard ratio. You'll forgive the uh, the publicity. And we have a measure that enables you to compare one index against another, basically when they're used in FIAs. And very interestingly, what we find is the winners and the losers, that changes over time, is the first thing to say. No surprise there. And there have been some periods in the past when multi-asset was clearly better than US large cap. There have been other periods when US large cap has been fantastic, and that's broadly been true, in fact, for a long time. And so our conclusion is the risk control indices, by the way, putting a risk control on the S&P, that's a very efficient way of doing things. Those look very good indeed. But you've got to be careful because everybody knows the last 10 years has been fantastic for the S&P. So... Be careful just looking backwards.
And Jay, we find it's about what 46% of risk control indices outperform the benchmarks. So that, that's a great number. But as you said, it's different indices. So you've got to be able to pick them over time. But yeah. it's about 46%, right? Yeah, it's be careful quoting that number. But broadly speaking, something getting close to a half of the when you look at individual performances, about half, about let's call it 40% of the risk control indices outperformed the S&P. And that actually um, compares with mutual funds over the last 10 years, only 27% have outperformed. So you know, they've done okay, but you have to look at them in, in this right manner. You can't just compare them, the, the raw returns, because of this, they're delivered in options and you don't care about the downside. Wow, we've covered a lot of territory. So may, maybe just to summarize a little bit, and, and you guys help me out here. So 60-40, not dead. Absolutely. Okay. Going forward, you know, the wisdom of the street, the next 10 years, you know, you know, be, manage expectations with your clients, 6 to 7% on uh, a 60-40 kind of approach. Fair? Absolutely, um, yeah. And then the role of, of indexed products, okay, and the, the, this all depends on on the conversation with the client, but it, it and we're speaking from an accumulation perspective, not an income perspective, you know, plugging a, a, an FIA in for some or all of the bond, uh, some of the equity, and maybe as an alternative to a 60-40 approach. Where do we land on that on that conversation? Yes, no. Add a little bit. Yeah. I'm sorry? Add some allocation to FIA. I wouldn't put 100 in it, but let's say 60-40, put 80% in that, and the remaining 20 in an FIA. That looks attractive. Okay. And then as we as and the the wisdom of using this 6040 is just to to can manage human behavior so that we're not chasing performance, right? We we've got this box, we're going to sell high and buy low if we're allocating and we're it's human nature to buy high and sell low if we go the other direction, right? Okay. So so then the question is which index to choose, right? Lots of choices you know, do your work historically, right? But also, you know, it's kind of like, am I going to shop for my cashmere sweater at Costco or am I going to shop for my cashmere sweater at Harrods or Neiman's? Okay. I'm, I, you know, I, I, if I'm going to get a cashmere sweater, I might as well buy it at Costco. It's made in Italy. It's beautiful. Workmanship is awesome. And I pay 25% less. So bang for the buck, let's buy the option that that's going to give us a better bang for the buck. Because what that means is the options by budget is going to pass more value through to the client. Okay. So did I butcher that or do I have that? Am I close? What do you think of the analogy? You're throwing we an analogy you... mentally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking of buying another cashmere sweater. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I like your reference to Harrods. Yeah. Okay. We have a way now with this, this ratio of, of looking backwards and it's only backwards to see what the bang for your buck was. And it's interesting. But we caution using only backwards looking approach. We also think you should think on a forward looking basis. And this is why we do our forecasts for crediting strategies. 
which uh, is probably probably too much to go into now. Yeah, but I mean, then just on a on a sort of keeping on a straightforward level, you know, we see the S and P being around about seven. Ifa, you might get eight and a half. Emerging markets, you might get ten. Russell, small cap, you might get almost eight. So I think it really at this point in time does make sense to be broadly diversified. And even if you looked last year, right? I don't know if many people know this because the S and P had such a fantastic year. It was twenty four, but actually. Japan and Europe both returned 20%. So that's pretty solid, right? So you can't ignore other regions. So I really would be diversified is my thing that I want to strongly push. So as we wrap up, I, I really want to deliver a little bit of a commercial for these guys. They, they really have pioneered this notion of forecasting. And so that's where they merge you know, what they understand about the mechanics of an index with the capital markets forecast that they collect from the wisdom of Wall yep. Street. So as opposed to the rear view mirror and the back testing games, you know, that a lot of uh, manufacturers play, this gives you an ability to kind of level the field a little bit, right? So all of this material that we've been talking about today with respect to the research they're doing on the indices and comparing them and so on is their work product. And certainly, uh, if you go to the indexstandard.com, you know, you can get access to that, or you can go to your, your advisor development consultant at InsureMark, and we'll give you access through our digital annuity platform to all of that. And, and coming soon, we think, um, the ability to integrate this forecasting piece into your allocation decisions. So lots of things coming in the future. And um, anything you guys want to add what, what should advisors do if they're interested in in learning more what, what's your point of view is any of this going to be public information soon are you any articles coming white papers yeah we've got we've got a couple articles coming out about 60 40 we've got some articles coming out about the uh, bang for your buck and we've actually got a sort of another article coming out on 60 40 that'll be available available on various sources our website Think Advisor and LinkedIn will give you some snippets. But if anyone wants to contact us, info at the index standard is a great place to start, or even contacting us through InsureMark is another great option as well. Any closing thought, guys? I'm always amazed at how people have short memories in finance. That's one thing. And also, things people think are impossible turn out to happen, like bond yields going negative. How can that possibly happen? Well, it did. Or... Crude oil prices going negative. That happened. So be careful. Be diversified. Sage advice. Thank you very much. Hey, folks, you've been listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. We've had uh, Lawrence Black and Jay Watson join us today from the Index Standard. Uh, they're a brilliant team that uh, help uh, you and your, your clients more fully understand and appreciate the nuance and really to get more value out of the index products. And as I said earlier, feel free to reach out to one of InsureMark's advisor development consultants. That's a dedicated team that's really uh, well-versed in, in the tool set that Jay and Lawrence bring to the table and can help you uh, navigate your way through this, this complex field. So until next time, thank you, Jay and uh, Lawrence. We really appreciate all the great work you do. We appreciate the partnership with InsureMark. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 